I love hearing you guys sing with everything you've got and standing up here because he keeps singing when I'm coming up and that's fine. And so hands are raised in the front to the back and, and just to hear your voices raised in the front and the back. I mean, even the people in the, you know who you are, you are the people in the very back. You stand in the cafe line until about 15 minutes after the church starts. I know who you are. But you guys came in like, you know what, coffee's good, I'm singing, here we go. And so... What a, good, what a good thing all across, all across the room today. Today's a great day. Group Connect is going on. I don't know where you came in from, okay? I don't know where you had to park, whether it was on this side or up top or, or behind me. But on the north side over here, you will find a large white tent. And under there are all of our small group leaders. And I'd love for you, if you are not in a small group, to go in there to meet them and to have your opportunity now to get in a small group for this semester, from now to about Thanksgiving or Christmas, and, and, and go there and get plugged in with people in the same season of life and, and going through some of the same things you are. Maybe their kids go to the same schools. And this is great how we do this because they're all out there live and in person. So you can literally, you can go across the tables and you can go, no, not you. No, not you. Not, so, I mean, you don't have to do that, but it's kind of fun. And uh, just to make them wonder, why, what's wrong? And so, and uh, we encourage group dating here, by the way. And so you can fill out here, uh, especially in, in, Christian, in Christian world, group dating's good. And so you can go in and fill out a couple of group choices and maybe even go visit a couple of them throughout the week. And you got to find out who's got the best coffee, uh, who's got the best snacks, you know, and, and, and make your decisions. Whether or not they've got a candle that's just going to run you out of the house. You have to know those things. And so we, we encourage you, this is group world, we encourage you to go in and, and to try a different, uh, some, some different groups. I had some people ask me, because I'll be standing at a table after the service as well with, with my small group, and uh, my wife will be there with me. And I had some people ask me, like, so what do you do? Um, what do you just, one guy, I forget how it was he said it, it was classic. He was like, do y'all just like talk nice to each other for a while? Or? And so it's a great question. He's being totally honest. And uh, so here's something maybe you don't know is that every week as Brian, whoever's speaking, Brian or, or myself, as, as we're preparing our message notes, we're also on staff, there are uh, some sermon questions that are built out of the notes. And so typically in a small group, for a majority of our small groups, you go in and you just sat, sit down and you just, you go through some questions, you go through some thoughts. Maybe, hopefully you've left on some Sundays going, man, I'd like to talk more about that. I'd like to see how that really could, could apply to me, or I've been through that. And it just helps to have someone to just kind of share some of those things with. And yes, the opportunity to, to pray together. And yes, the opportunity to just kind of maybe, maybe have some, some community outside of group night together, take in a, a ball game or do whatever it is you're going to do, support one another, and hopefully just connect and build some friendships in a way that make this room as it is available three times on Sunday feel a little bit smaller. Something just happens in your brain after you meet people as you walk through this room. Now their, their faces start to kind of come, come into view and you begin to show up in the church and say, this is my family. And that's what we want for you. We want this place to be a family. We are a family on a mission here at Westridge Church to lead people on a life-changing journey to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about. It's available to all of us this morning, whether, you have, whether you've been in church your whole life or whether you're here this morning just kind of kicking the tires, just saying, listen, I don't even know if this Jesus thing is for me yet, so I'm going to be listening to you. The people around me seem to believe this stuff because they're singing about it, but now I'm just checking it all out. Wherever you are on that spiritual journey, you are, you are welcome, and we're certainly glad you're here, but you're welcome in a group as well. We've been going through 1 Peter, and we're in 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. And, and Peter writes these thoughts from chapter four, in chapter 4 from verse 12 to 19. And what I want to do is just kind of read the whole letter and, and go through the whole, this whole little section. And there are a couple things that really popped out to me, especially 
two words that he uses that just kind of jumped off the page to me that I believe whether you've been a Christ follower for a long time, you're new to this, or you're just checking it out, that it, you will see the meaning and the application to your life as well. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter has this sort of Captain Obvious moment in this part of the letter. He's talked about a lot of things. This, this thread of suffering has, has really goes through all of this letter as he's been writing it and he, as he really continues to point people to the hope of Jesus Christ. But this kind of Captain Obvious moment is this. Listen, trials and hardship can be expected and they'll not just be commonplace or easy or ordinary. I mean, we can all identify with that, right? I mean, all of us at some point have gone through some type of of trial or suffering or a moment where you felt like, listen, this is out of the ordinary. Maybe you feel like it's more than you can handle and you've been through a rough time or maybe you've been through, maybe you're going through a time like that right now and you're like, listen, I don't know where God is in this. I have a lot of questions for God. A lot of those questions start with why. I don't understand what's going on. Peter says you can expect that. And he says, if you are a follower of Jesus, you can, be, you can expect to be tested in such a way as to try to ruin your desire to continue to be a Christ follower. I mean, the enemy of God and your enemy, he wants to take you out. So Peter says, listen, you can expect fiery trials. You can expect at times things will be rough. The enemy will try to rob you of hope. Hope, as we've defined it, as Pastor Brian's defined it, is that strong, confident expectation in God's future faithfulness, and presence. The enemy will try to convince you that God is done with you. He will try to tell you that your mistakes are too grand and and maybe they are why you're in the mess that you're in. He will tell you that your sin is just too much. He'll tell you that you are too much to handle, that, that no one wants you or that you don't have what it takes and following God is just not worth it to the point where you really begin to kind of lean away from the things of God and deciding not to make him a priority anymore. The enemy will try to convince you that at the end of the day, listen, following Jesus just doesn't matter because you, you still, you follow him and you still end up with trials and suffering. The enemy will try to deaden your senses towards sin. He'll try and convince you you don't need the church, you don't need the community, you don't need the small group, and it's okay just to bump God way down on the priority list. Peter says, listen, you're going to suffer. It's part of life. You're going to have trials. You're going to have hardships. So if you're going to do that, if you're going to have those, then have them in the name of of Jesus. And in doing so, have those trials because even that you are a Christ follower. And when that happens, you will know that you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ himself. 
says, if you've got to suffer, then suffer because every day you are living, you're moving, you're having your being in Jesus Christ. Everything about your life is dedicated to him and putting God on display. If you're suffering for that, it's going to help you get through it just a little bit more. It'll make every insult, every hardship, every trial worth it. In your moments of suffering and trial, Peter says, remember, there's coming a day when Jesus himself will be revealed to the whole world. And on that day, those who have suffered while living for Christ, those who have suffered for the cause of Christ, and in the name of Jesus, will be able to rejoice and be glad. When you are suffering because of the choices you have made to stay dedicated, to make God a priority, Peter says you can be confident and you'll just know it. The Spirit of God rests upon you. The Apostle Paul shared in this thought, he says, listen, he says, I want to know the power of God in my life. Do you ever feel that? you ever feel, I've been coming to church for a long time, I've been trying out the church thing for a while. I want to know the power of God in my life. And the Apostle Paul recognized that in order to to share in that power and that confidence, that sharing in Jesus' sufferings was part of it. He says it this way in Philippians 3 verse 10, he says that I may know him, Jesus, the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Listen, when you don't know where to turn, when there's no answer for the pain, when there's no answer to the big why God questions, the writers of the New Testament give us reason to hope beyond just religious checklists and cliches, to share in glory not yet revealed, to know that the Spirit of God is real in your life, to have a confidence that the power of God is in your life, even in the midst of that suffering. It gives you hope, and it makes all of that worth it. And Peter, who can feel the oppression and the persecution pressing in. I mean, really, persecution was started by Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul. And now here we are in the days of Nero, the emperor who has set Rome on fire and who has blamed Christians for it. I mean, this whole culture has now really turned on the followers of Jesus. And Peter is getting more and more of a sense that he is not going to be able to die at a time when it seems like of his own choosing or when it would be expected but rather the whole world is pressing in and Peter says listen you don't know how long you've got you don't know what's going to happen in your life but if you're suffering suffer for the cause of Christ that makes it all worth it there's nothing worse than being in the middle of a trial that you don't have to be in because of a stupid decision Peter makes this this comment about, listen, don't suffer because you're a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, just a, just a meddler. Nothing worse. I, I was sharing with my wife that statement this week that there's, there's nothing worse than being in the middle of a trial that you don't have to be in because of a decision you made. So I asked my wife, I said, are there any stupid things that I've done that I could share with, with people? And she began to talk immediately, and she talked for a long time without taking a breath. And, and so... As she, she got into this, about half an hour into this, I said, okay, that's, that's a good one. And she reminded me of something that happened. About the second year of our marriage, there's a couple in the church. Um, we've been married almost 17 years, by the way. So about 15 years ago is how far back I went for a stupid story. There, there's some this week, but I went way back uh, for my own safety and security. And so um, this couple was going to take their four kids to the Bahamas, and they needed house sitters. We don't have kids. They had a pool, um, nice house. And they were going to pay us a couple hundred dollars to house sit for the week. And, and so, yeah, sure, that sounds great. So we'll go do that. 
Well, we showed up at the house to have orientation, and they began to take us around and show us how to set the alarm code, how to do all this kind of stuff. And uh, pretty soon after we got to the house, we were greeted by a dog. Um, it was a Great Dane. And listen, I'm not good with dogs. I, I, don't, I don't have anything against dogs, um, but I put off that invisible sense of fear and uncertainty that dogs can smell and really like to take advantage of. I put that off on a normal basis. So especially when you've got a dog that's really a breed of horse, but we call it a dog and a Great Dane. And so the dog, enormous head and jaws and teeth and stuff, and uh, comes right up to me and it's a puppy, Great Dane, which doesn't mean it's any smaller, um, but it's more playful and more excited. And the dog's name is Daisy. And I'm going, yeah, sure, Daisy. So, um, you know, it didn't take long after the family left to where Daisy began to smell this thing that I put off uh, for dogs. And, and so we had some interesting times. And about night number two, um, one of the things that they, that they told us was that the dog likes to sleep on the edge of the bed where we would be sleeping. Listen, I don't, I don't do this. I mean, when the, when the, when the pillows, the pillow, all the pillows go off the bed and I, I don't like anything laying on my feet or anything. We're not big snugglers in my house because I have my space, okay? So, you know, we snuggle, honey, I love you. Kiss, kiss, goodnight. And then I'm gonna be on my side of the bed. You know where the line is. Don't cross the line. And, and so, and I'm gonna sleep, all right? And so, and now I've got this grizzly bear laying across my legs. Well, Something happened to Daisy about night number two. I don't know if she was having a dream or what. But she woke up startled and totally could not remember that we had been there. And is now realizing that the two people sleeping in the master bed where Daisy sleeps every night are not the two normal people. And the dog is ready to take us down. I'm not, I don't know what to, I'm not a dog whisperer. I don't know the tricks. I don't know like, you know, so, you know, I put my hand out at the dog and the dog's like ready to take the hand off. I'm like, this is not going to work. And so I'm literally like sliding along the wall to try to get to the exterior door that leaves this bedroom to let the dog out. I'm just sliding, the dog is just following me, the whole, and, and barking and growling and making all kinds of noises. My wife sneaks up behind the dog. She gets behind the dog. She very stealthily grabs her purse and her keys. She goes out the bedroom door, out the front door, and drives and sleeps in our home the rest of the week while I dealt with Daisy. I'm in the middle of this moment, and I'm thinking, it doesn't have, why did I agree to this? This was not something, there's nothing worse than being in a decision or being in a moment where you feel like you're going through trial and suffering and near-death experience, and you've just decided, listen, it didn't have to be this way. I didn't have to make this decision. And when you read stories from the life of Peter, especially as he's hanging out with Jesus and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, listen, Peter is the guy who says and does a lot of stupid stuff. He understands what it means to feel horrible for bad choices, for wrong decisions that he's made. He's the guy in the group that you really have no idea what he's going to say at any time. I mean, there was actually a time where he's, they're walking with Jesus, and, and Jesus asks a question, and, and Peter answers it, and Jesus' response to him is, get behind me, Satan. That's a bad moment, okay? Peter said totally the wrong thing. He was totally off. And the night before Jesus' death, I know you, you know this about Peter, but you've got to feel it coming off the page. You've got to remember this about him. Listen, he's the guy that denied Jesus three times. 
He's the guy that just said, just wash all of me. I'm going all in with you. I'm all in, Jesus, whatever you want. And then when push came to shove, when the Roman soldiers showed up that night, Peter's like, I I, I don't know him. Later that night, I don't know him. I don't know him. And finally, the third time when that little girl looks at him in the courtyard and she says, I know that you were with him. Your accent gives you away. He looks at this little girl and cusses her out and says, I don't know the man. And then the rooster crows and he locks eyes with Jesus and he realizes he has let the Savior down. He's in anguish. He's in anguish, a trial, suffering, grief, deep-seated grief that he put himself in. And some of you feel like that about your own trials, your own sufferings, your own hardship. And, and Peter's saying 30, about 30 years after that night, he's writing this letter saying, listen, don't suffer for something that's not worth it. Don't suffer because of sin. Don't let it be because you are meddling in someone else's business. If you have to have a trial, and you do have to have them, let it be in those moments that you're having that trial, that no one has any doubt about you, that you are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God and salvation. And as you're going through those trials, you're putting God on display to where others look at you and they say, I know you don't know all the reasons why, but you have a confidence that I wouldn't expect anyone to have in those circumstances. Let, it, let your trials, let your suffering be because you were dedicated to living out the mission of God wherever you work and play, wherever you go, every single day. Whether it's being ridiculed at school, whether it's being mocked at work for going to a Bible study or or saying a prayer over lunch, whatever it is, let your ridicule and your suffering be because you are putting Jesus on display. You were living a life dedicated to the mission of God. Peter says that makes it all worth it. I think even this week about Dr. Kent Brantley from Samaritan's Purse, who was released from Emory University, now free and clear of the Ebola virus. I'm so inspired by him and by the other missionary lady from an organization called SIM. They contracted this virus not just while doing good deeds. They contracted this by being servants and ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What an inspiring, what an honoring thing for me to be able to walk through my own life in northwest Atlanta and be able to take a stand as a, as a missionary right here in my own backyard. I think about others. There's so many overseas who inspire us. I think about a, a Westridge couple who's, whose name I, I can't use from the stage with the recording going on, but a part of their upbringing was here in our church. They're serving in Turkey today. And when we give here at Westridge, we're supporting this couple, resourcing this couple who... They started out with some other friends serving in this country. They're dedicated to this country. They're actually going through the process to become citizens of Turkey, where there are hardly any Christ followers at all. They were doing this with other people, and then those other people moved away, took another assignment, or came back to the U.S., I'm not sure. But now they don't have any other Christ followers with them or anyone around them they can trust for at least a 14-hour drive. They are completely alone and isolated, and all that goes with that for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you ask them, when you get the testimonies and things back from a couple serving in a place where, listen, if they see someone come to faith in a year or every five years, every 10 years, it's a huge celebration, but you can tell it, you can feel it in their letters that all of this suffering, all of this trial, all of this isolation, all of this hardship is worth it. 
because our lives are dedicated to Jesus Christ. In the book of James, James says, listen, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The message version, James says, count it a a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced out into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. And then I love what the message version of this passage says, if you take it just one verse further. I love this. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. If you're in a circumstance a trial or difficulty, you just don't understand and you cannot figure out how is this ever going to stop? It's out of my control. I love this. Pray to the Father. He loves to help and you'll get his help and he won't be condescending when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. In our moments of, of greatest trial and difficulty, Peter's saying, listen, if you suffer as a Christian, you can have a hope that will take you beyond just being a cultural Christian. It will take you just beyond religiosity. No one can hope to answer all of the the why questions when it comes to suffering in this life, but I can tell you this, a life lived in active obedience and dedication to the gospel can see its greatest purposes revealed in its greatest moments of trial. You see, the ultimate purpose is to make us like Jesus. The ultimate purpose is to bring us to a place of of total abandonment and total alignment to the plans of God. You may not be able to see it yet, but I believe the scripture says something great is about to be revealed. What if, say, what if my suffering is because of my own sin? What if it is because of a bad choice? What if it's because of someone else's choice? What if it's because of someone else's sin? And this is totally out of my control. Listen, those people and those choices do not have the power to cancel out the purposes and plans of God in your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, a very familiar verse says, I know the plans I plan for you. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future with hope. I love the word that Jeremiah uses for future in this passage. It's the Hebrew word acherit. And it's not only the word for future, but it's also the word for backward. How does this work? There's this picture here that the future is behind you and you're moving backward and you cannot see it. It's as if you're in a rowboat and you can only see where you've been. You can't see where you're going, but you continue to keep your your trust and that the people in control of this, the person in control of this is going to get you where you need to be. It's as if it's on the other side of a wall. You cannot see it, but you can keep going. And if you keep going, you'll get there. When I was a kid, an elementary student, my family used to give me swim lessons every summer in Lakeland, Florida. And my grandparents, this would be kind of my birthday gift from them every year. I'd spend four or five weeks in a pool. And I, I love swimming. It's a lot of fun. And just as a kid, it was such a great thing to have that camaraderie. As long as I'm swimming forward, I'm in good shape. I mean, felt like I was fast as a kid. You know, you got all these things you drum up in your mind. I'm going to be an Olympic swimmer one day. You know, it never happened but I'm gliding along. But then they start teaching us the backstroke. Backstroke is a problem for me. 
I would begin to do the backstroke, and it, as good as I thought I was going forward, I was horrible back. I mean, literally, there were times where I did almost a U-turn in the back. I don't even know how this, how this works. I'm basically just kind of flailing around here, and the instructor got a hold of me, and, and, and she said this. She said, listen, once you look out in the parking lot, do you see the light poles? Yeah. She said, look at the third one from the left. That's the one you keep your eyes on. She said, if you will keep your eyes on that light pole, I promise you that as you do this backstroke, you will get to where you're supposed to be. Changed it for me. And Peter says, listen, if you suffer as a Christian, if you suffer because of Christ, if you will but keep your eyes on him, the author, the finisher of our faith, the scriptures say in another, in another place. If you'll but keep your eyes on Jesus, you will get to where you're supposed to be. You may not understand it at all times, but God has a great future, a great plan for you. If you will keep your eyes fixed on him, he will get you there. He will get you there every single time. And then Peter, towards the end of this passage, he has this moment where I just feel like as he's writing, he had to just stop. I mean, Peter knows what it feels like to be off track. He knows what it feels like to be persecuted by others. He also knows what it's like to have a course correction, put his eyes back on Jesus. And he writes down a couple of words here at the end of this section of the letter that just jump off to me. Verse 19, he says this. He says, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Peter's that guy. I don't know if you have this guy in your family or not. You probably do. Peter's that guy. Maybe it's a father, uncle, grandfather, brother, that if he wells up with tears, you know something serious is going on. Peter's writing down, and I just imagine him writing this from wherever he is. I imagine as the Holy Spirit breathes this into him and inspires him to write this down, that he's thinking the word creator, but something is added. This little word, faithful. Faithful creator. I mean, Peter had to have thought of for just a moment what a mess he was at one point. Ever felt like this? Maybe you know this is you today. I am, I am a hot mess. I'm a wreck. I confess that before God and everybody. Peter knew what that was all about. Maybe he thought back to the day when Andrew, his brother, comes running along the Sea of Galilee and he says, Peter, I found him. I found him. And he wants me to follow him. You found who? What in the world are you talking about? I found him. I found the one we've been waiting for. I found the one that was promised. I found the one we've been praying for. What are you, how is this even possible? And behind Andrew walking along the Sea of Galilee is Jesus. With this confidence and authority in his stride and this look in his eye. And he looks to Peter and says, follow me. Fisherman, hanging onto a net. Just a rough guy, just a guy that would say anything, a guy that made everybody nervous because you just never knew what, what was he going to do next. 
And Jesus said, follow me. Peter drops his net. Can't believe that if this, is, if this is him, if this is the one we've been waiting for, he wants me to follow. And Peter had to have thought about all of those times where he messed up. All of those times where he said the wrong thing, where he did the wrong thing, where he doubted. He had to have thought about the night of his betrayal. And then he had to have thought about that time after the resurrection of Jesus, when disciples are all together again and along the Sea of Galilee and, and Jesus kind of comes up alongside of them, kind of all of a sudden, he didn't, Peter didn't even realize he was, he was there and, and, and Jesus walks up to him and says, Peter, you love me? Yeah, yeah, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes. The son of God, he should have heard me the first time is what's maybe going through his head. And then a third time. After denying him three times, Jesus gives him three shots at this. Peter, do you love me? After all the mistakes, after all the foot in the mouth moments, Peter looks at Christ and says, Jesus, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep, follow me all your days. I've got something for you that you can't see yet, and if I tell you about it, you may not follow through with it because it's going to be amazing. But if you'll trust me, if you'll trust my plans, if you'll trust my purposes, if you will stick with me, if you will suffer with me, you will experience a power and a life and a purpose that very few ever discover. Peter's writing down the word creator. Creator is powerful. It's it's all-encompassing. It's, it's infinite. It's eternal. Faithful creator. That's personal. That's personal. And maybe with his eyes welling up in tears, and maybe for some of you thinking this morning, how is this big, huge God even concerned with me a little bit? He is so concerned with you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows everything you're going through, everything you've ever been through, and everything you will, even the things you can't see yet that are behind the wall. But if you'll live your life dedicated to him, not passive, not apathetic, putting God at the top of the priority list, seeking first the kingdom of God, then all of these things will be added to you. And you will know that every single day there is a faithful creator by your side. The Apostle Paul shared in this thought, because he was a murderer, a persecutor of Christians at one point. He, he knew what a wreck he was. I mean, all the disciples, they seemed to share in this. We were just a ragtag bunch of nothings. Nobody wanted us, but, but he came alongside and offered us something more. The Apostle Paul says it this way, because of your partnership in the gospel until, from the first day until now, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is working on all of us. And no matter what you've been through, what you're going through, it is part of a work that he is doing to make of you something great. And what Peter and Paul would stand on this stage and say to any of us today, whether you've been walking with God your whole life or you haven't figured it out yet or you're in the middle of a trial right now, what they would say is what God has begun, he will finish. He will not abandon you. 
In Job, the scriptures say it like this, if you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he, God, will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. And though your beginning was small, your latter days will be very great. You may feel like you're in a hopeless mess right now. You may feel like you are a hopeless mess right now. But the life yielded to God, even in its darkest hour, is guaranteed to have something great made of it. He will carry you to what is behind the wall. The artist is guaranteed to finish his masterpiece. The family that's fractured and broken today, I'm telling you, it can be put back together. The finances laid and and ruined and shambles can be rebuilt. The life that was scarred and abused by others can be healed. God is faithful even when we are not. He is working on us even when we don't realize it, even when we have set out for a while. If you have doubts about anything, if you have doubts about your self-worth, come to the Savior and find out what he thinks about you. If you're going to have trials in your life, let it be because you are a follower of Jesus Christ, but even greater than that, if you're going to have purpose in your life, every day gets you out of bed purpose. Let it be be because you are dedicated to discovering your purpose and the plans of God every single day. He's the God of small beginnings. You will have troubles. You will have difficulty. But a faithful creator has promised that he has great plans for you even though you may not be able to see them right now God knows what he's doing Peter says and he will keep on doing it let's pray together today with heads bowed and with eyes closed my encouragement to you as a Christ follower is that in your mind's eye if you could just Put your eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The one who's still working out his plans and purposes, even when life is the most upside down and dark and misunderstood. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want to give you the opportunity to do that now. Say, God, I don't really have all the answers to the why questions in fact it's those why questions that have kept me away from you and kept me out of even coming to a church but God today because you've been faithful to me because you keep drawing me in I'm going to choose to be faithful to you I want to give my life to you now because you sent your one and only son Jesus to die for me I've I've doubted that for so long but today I understand it's personal it was my sins that were being covered God, I put my faith and hope in you. Give my life to you even now.